welcome to episode 102, 102 of the Geek Rex podcast. Uh, this week we're going to be talking about some upcoming fall movies that we're excited about. We decided that the summer was not exciting enough to, to really have a full conversation about. It's been a little bit of a dreary summer for movies for most of us. no. Oh, I'm sorry. I oh. thought it was. <laughs> no, no, no. I just want to say I was agreeing with you. Fuck. <laughs> Like, that's typically an expression of disagreement. I understand I the confusion. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Yes. So, we're all in agreement then that uh, this summer kind of sucked <laughs> for movies. It was not the summer of movies like last year was when we got a lot of uh, interesting things to chat about. But uh, I guess in exchange, uh, we've actually got a lot of stuff coming up in the very end of the year that's really exciting, particularly a lot of stuff kind of on the genre side of things, which is a little unusual. It's not so much some of the Oscar bait stuff that we usually get, although there's a little bit of that too. But, I was about to say. Yeah, but there's there's a lot of uh, horror and action and sci-fi, some interesting stuff coming up at the end of the year, so we figured we'd, uh, we'd chat about that. So we, we've got the whole gang on this week. So uh, I'm Harper. Joining us also is Cal. Hello. Shane. Hey, Kyle. Sorry, I was thinking about <laughs> there's Superman penis here. You can't stop looking at I it. I can't stop looking at it. It's, it's, Just kidding. Sorry. He's actually looking at a receipt. I it's am, way more boring. <laughs> I was like, what receipt was in my pocket today? Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, that was as exciting as the summer movie, Blockade. So that was Fantastic Four right there for you. <laughs> yeah. And uh, last but not least, Hannah. Hello. Cool. So I guess we'll just kind of jump right in. Anybody want to just kind of throw one out there? Movie? What, what's the movie you guys are most excited about coming up in the next couple months to the end of the year? Carol. Uh, what? Uh, <laughs> Carol? Yes, Carol. All right. Yeah, that's, yeah the latest Todd. Todd, Todd oh, sorry, sorry. Elaborate. I will. I will. So, yeah. <laughs> Todd Haynes. I really enjoy a lot of his work. I like Velvet Goldmine. I like I'm Not There. I think uh, he's one of the really interesting visionary directors that not a lot of people pay great attention to in the mainstream, um, mainly because his films uh, sort of push the boundaries a little bit of what we expect out of genre or biopics or, you know, slice of life. But Carol, uh, it's his latest film with Kate Blanchett, and it also has Rooney Mara in it. And uh, unlike the atrocity that uh, just came out uh, this past weekend, Pan, Rooney Mara might actually get something good to do that isn't completely embarrassing and a holocaust of cinema. So that movie's um, that yeah. bad. <laughs> I don't know. I just the idea of her playing uh, whatever a Native American T- Tiger Lily. Tiger Lily is really embarrassing. Any, any Native American character. Yeah. I think everything about Pam looks embarrassing. I mean, that's up there. But I mean, literally every aspect of that movie embarrasses me that it's coming the, out. The, the so. crocodile is the only cool thing that I've seen in the previews. I mean, I, I always appreciate good Hugh Jackman ham, but still, <laughs> regardless, yes, Joe Wright is embarrassing himself. But um, yeah, Carol. So basically, it's a love story. Uh, between Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara's characters in the 1950s. So a 1950s LGBT romance between a younger woman and an older woman. Very excited about it because Todd Haynes is behind it. And as I understand it, it may be the Oscar frontrunner. So who else has got a, a movie they're excited about for the fall? Let's throw another one out there. This is one that uh, I honestly didn't think I would be excited about. It's not a, a. It's part of a franchise. It's not a franchise I have a lot of um, nostalgic attachment to. But I've loved the trailers. I really like a lot of the talent involved. 
and that's Creed. Oh, uh, yeah, me too. The upcoming sort of sequel to uh, the Rocky franchise starring the phenomenally named Adonis Creed, uh, played by um, Michael B. Jordan as Apollo Creed's son, who is being trained by Rocky to get into the ring himself. The Rocky franchise is like something I've never really been a huge fan of, never been interested in seeing any of them. Not even turning the first one into a Broadway musical was enough to get me interested. But that Creed trailer was really intriguing. Up until Sylvester Stallone showed up. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. It, it looked really different. And then I saw Sylvester Stallone and I was like, oh, that's what this is. I mean, but like, I don't even, I don't like sports. I don't like sports movies that much. But the first Rocky is legitimately a classic. I mean, it, right. it, it, it's not like it's a classic just because it's, you know, something we all grew up with. It, it is a great movie. And I mean, Stallone, for all the shit that Stallone has been in, I mean, he can write and he can direct and he can act when he wants to or when he's <laughs> inspired to, which isn't that often, but the Rocky series tends to bring out the best in him. Did he write and direct this one? Uh, he did not direct it. Uh, it's being directed by Ryan Coogler, who did Fruitvale Station, the Michael B. Jordan movie from, I think, 2012. And I think he... Okay, yeah, he did not write it. He did not direct it. But he is returning to uh, star as Rocky. And honestly, even as bad as the Rocky movies would eventually... would would rapidly get i should say uh as bad as the rocky movies would rapidly get stallone was typically like a bright spot in them which i'm not used to saying about stallone but i think this franchise means a lot to him and uh i i suspect he will bring his a game and the rest of the cast is just great um michael b jordan is a favorite of mine as is uh tessa thompson who is playing the adrian to his rocky I think uh, it's very clear that Rocky is maybe, outside of Topland, the only good movie Sylvester Stallone has ever been in, as far as I'm concerned, anyway. But you're right. The original film has a lot of power that I think works quite well. Yes. After that, though, they, the rest can die in a fire, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> including, including, you know, the one that I loved as a kid, which was Three, where you had Clubber Lang with Mr. T fighting Rocky. And he was being trained by Apollo Creed in those short, short shorts. <laughs> uh, they go running down the beach together in the most romantic hug ever. It, yeah, it's a series that basically had one great film, and that's really all we should remember it for. Yeah, I mean, Stallone does not have a good career. I mean, there's no getting around that. He has Rocky, the first Rambo movie. And I mean, I, I, there are there are people who will defend both the most recent Rocky and Rambo movies. <laughs> um, there, I mean, the, there are a lot of people who defend those. I actually haven't seen either of them, but I know those those two actually have a lot of pretty passionate defenders. The most recent um, Rocky had the best casting for his son ever, which was Milo Ventimiglia from Heroes. He played <laughs> his son because they both have the same lip uh, paralysis. Yeah, they do yeah. look a lot alike. Yeah. I see it. So, yeah, I wasn't terribly excited about that. But, I, I mean, that's the power of a good trailer. I mean, it sold me on just the feel of the film, the look of the film, the cast. It, it, it just looked really enjoyable. So as much as the Rocky series batting average is not high... I am uh, going down for that one. 
I'm going to do the opposite of Cal and pick a movie that I am excited about, but it looks terrible in the trailers. And just generally, I don't think it's going to be good at all, which is Crimson Peak. I I've really good like, things about it. I really want it to be good. I hope it's good. I just suspect it won't be. But I really like Guillermo del Toro. I like Jessica Chastain. I like Tom Hiddleston. I like everything about the cast in this. And I really want a good, scary movie. So I'm hoping it'll be good. I think it has visuals that are a lot more intriguing than any Pacific Rim had. So I think it definitely has that going for it, for me at least. You know, that's a good question, because I know you're going to see it on Tuesday next week, I think. Yeah, I'd ask Kyle when the embargo lifts. That's yeah. kind of a sign. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Wednesday. So it's not embargoed until the release date. It's early. Well, it's, it's, it's embargoed until Wednesday, October 14th. Yeah, and it comes out the 16th. Yeah, that's, okay. actually that's not bad. So maybe it's maybe it's decent. Somebody said it was good. I, I could have sworn I saw some tweets from people who said it was good. Kate Beaton really liked it. There was a weird like Twitter exchange where I guess Kate Beaton got to go to an early showing and she seemed to really enjoy it. And Guillermo del Toro actually ended up tweeting her saying he was a huge fan of her work. So it was a weird, weird Twitter exchange between two people whose paths I thought would never cross. <laughs> That's funny. Well, maybe there's hope. Yeah, you mean, you know, my going rule with Guillermo del Toro. You don't like his movies. Even his good movies, you don't really like. (laughs) I like Pan's Labyrinth a lot. Um, Pan's Labyrinth, I think, is a masterpiece. There's like a movie of his that you like. That's the only one, man. Even like ones I want to love, like Hellboy. We just had an entire discussion about how many of his movies we wish had had been made. (laughs) So... (laughs) Yeah, uh, I'm still waiting on Haunted Mansion here. <laughs> right. I'm just glad to see one uh, finally make it to theaters. I mean, this one, Crimson Peak, is pretty high on my list for sure. I mean, it just it looks like the kind of classic horror movie I haven't seen in theaters in a really, really long time, or, or maybe ever. I mean, it's, it looks like this kind of Technicolor hammer horror, very moody, very mm-hmm. you know, um, Mask of the Red Death or, or um, Fall of the House of Usher kind of horror movie that. I haven't seen in a long time. That's really exciting to me, and I love everybody that's involved. So, my expectations are hopelessly high on this one. So, I'm sure if our, if The Martian our, hadn't come out this month, I would say it probably has a strong possibility of being like a close second for in terms of what's going to do well this October. I I, I think it could surprise people. Uh, maybe or maybe I, I think it's going to fail miserably. To be honest with you, <laughs> really? maybe or maybe it's just the opposite. I, I that's helpful. It, I think. I think it's the kind of I don't know. Have a clue how to sell. And I think it's those trailers. Are there, there's so many other movies that are like, there's so many other movies that are trying to scratch that Halloween horror itch for people. And I feel like that's the only one that's like selling it well, except for maybe Goosebumps, which I'm pretty excited for just because that one's going to attract a lot of people my age. Uh, a lot of 90s kids will go see that one. But I mean, other than that, you've got like The Last Witch Hunter and Paranormal Activity 5 or 6, whichever one they're on now. Like that, that's that's all they've got for horror this October. So I think Crimson Peak might help scratch that itch come Halloween. With a Spielberg movie coming out, and with like a Steve Jobs movie that's coming, yeah, I think one of those two will probably outside of The Martian will probably be the big money maker. Sorry, Cal, as you were saying, I'm excited for Crimson Peak, but I mean. This is actually a pretty busy month for horror with The Final mm-hmm. Girls, Knock Knock, Paranormal Activity, The Ghost Dimension, The Last and the uh, the Last Witch Hunter, 
as well as Scout's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse. Like, there's actually a number of horror movies coming out this month, so it's going to struggle to stand out there. And then for, like, kind of classical dramas, you've got Steve Jobs, Bridge of Spies, Room will be hitting limited release, and Room has been getting film festival raves. So, I mean, it's 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 got stiff competition this time of year. Which is just nice that we have a lot of horror movies this month because the past few years have been horrible for October. I would agree with that. Yeah, we haven't had a, either a wide selection or a good horror movie <laughs> around Halloween uh, in um, quite a while. Yeah, I mean, considering so far this year, the only amazing horror movie we've had is It Follows. So I'll, I'll use horror as a way to segue into mine because I feel like the one I, I wrote a list down while we were kind of getting ready to start. And out of all of them, this one's one that I don't think we would talk about if I didn't bring it up. So um, I'm really excited for Krampus in December, Michael Doherty's first movie since Trick or Treat. Trick or Treat is a movie that if it weren't for Cabin in the Woods, I would be tempted to say it is probably the best horror movie of the past like five or ten years. I I love Trick or Treat so much, and it's it's one of those horror movies that just becomes an instant classic. And that's really, really rare these days, especially in horror and so I, I wasn't wowed by the Krampus trailer, but I, I have hopes for it. I, I hope that the movie itself is better than the trailer. I'm on board with a horror Christmas movie. I mean, that's something we never get, right? Or, or not very often. Yeah. So usually right after Halloween, my um, obsession with horror has to like take a break for a little while. <laughs> I'm, I'm totally sick of horror for at least a few weeks. So hopefully by mid-December, I'll be, I'll be ready for some more and that'll be one to visit. I kind of figured that'd be Shane's pick. yeah i mean i don't i don't know about that one like looking at the cast i really like it adam scott's one of my favorites allison tolman really impressed me in fargo and michael doherty you know trick-or-treat you know hugely popular very good horror but i was so turned off for the longest time just by the whole krampus thing i was like oh jesus fuck really hasn't there been like three of these in the last couple years but the talent looks interesting. I'm I'm willing to give it a shot. If nothing else, it will be better than Kevin Smith's Krampus movie. I've shot shit on my iPhone that's better than most of what Kevin Smith does. So, <laughs> especially in the past few years, <laughs> this is true. So, what what else have we got coming up? We haven't mentioned maybe maybe the biggest one, the uh, potential record breaker, or or what? Uh, the Peanuts movie. Uh, yeah, yeah, that one. <laughs> uh, he's clearly talking about the last Witch Hunter guys. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag axe and cross everybody <laughs> yes make sure make sure when you mention this podcast you you hashtag axe and cross please tim and the holograms you know <laughs> oh yeah 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 that's I the mean, one I, i've you're, been seeing commercials getting, for that now you're getting both I mean, of those the same week as rock the casbah i mean what are we're we're just we're gonna be drowning in quality <laughs> and paranormal activity comes out that day too Y'all, what's happened to Bill Murray, man? Really? Like, God, I, I, between that and Aloha, he's had his worst year in years. I mean, it's, it's, I feel like that's saying a lot. I know. I, I think like his famously like picky like stance on scripts is like just completely evaporated. I think maybe post Broken Flowers not doing anything on the awards circuit back years back. I think now he's just like whatever. Let me just catch him. I think post Garfield he's whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean you can only use the Cohen excuse so many times. <laughs> he had to have known what he was getting into. 
Yeah, he's kind of hitting that uh, that Robert De Niro period now, right? Where he's just in like anything and everything. <laughs> unfortunately, this is one that I, I I I mean, it doesn't look good, but I sort of get it. I mean, it's uh, Barry Levinson for for an older guy like Murray. I could see just saying, you know what, I want to work with Barry Levinson at some point. And Levinson hasn't been good in a long time, but. For a while, he was an incredibly influential, incredibly very well-respected writer and director. And I, I could totally see Bill Murray just saying, you know, this guy did Diner. This guy did, you know, Good Morning Vietnam, Rain Man. A lot of really popular movies that have stuck around, The Natural. Why not work with him once? Yeah, you might be right. Have you guys seen the trailers for Bradley Cooper as the 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 chef with personality problems or whatever that movie burnt? No. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh god. It's like all these chef movie, movies. It, it may be amazing, but it looks awful. No, that's going to be in and out and over <laughs> instantly. So. Oh, I, every time I see that I'm like I can't believe what I just watched. All right, so wait, Harper, are you talking about Star Trek or are we Star Wars or were you talking about Spectre? <laughs> Uh, well, either or, really, but Star Star Wars was what I was getting at. I was going to say, there's one of those two that I'm immensely more excited for yeah, than I, the other. I thought for sure one that Star Wars would be brought up, like, first things first. Uh, I figured somebody else would do it, so I just picked the more immediate one. I am That's kind of what I did, too. I was like, we're going to talk about it anyway. Might as well pick something I want us to talk about, so... Yeah, I mean, my uh, my expectations for Star Wars are, like Crimson Peak, to uh, hopelessly high, I'm sure. Uh, the slightest problem with the movie will, will leave yeah. me upset, I'm sure, <laughs> at this point. I'm, I'm kind of like, me and my brother were talking about this over the weekend about Star Wars, and like, part of me is like, I just want to, because I've got my trip to Halloween Horror Nights coming up next week, and I'm like, I just kind of want to get through that before I get exci- really, really excited for something else. And even then, I still have Spectre to get excited for before Star Wars. But, I mean, it's amazing that this movie's finally happening. And, of course, it's going to be just fucking huge. But I, I, I'm not pumped right now. And it's kind of weird to say that I'm not pumped for a Star Wars movie. I think childhood me would be very upset with myself to say I'm not excited for a Star Wars movie. But I think once we get to, like, two weeks, one week, and then the night of, I, th- I think I'll be a lot more excited once we get to that point. For me, it's just J.J. Abrams. Like, I just, I'm looking at his filmography. I think that he directed one movie I tolerated and three movies that I dislike intensely. And that's not a great batting average. And I know that, you know, Star Wars is going to be so committed and so all that. And Star Wars is an easier cinematic prospect than Star Trek. Like, Star Trek. He was a shitty fit for Star Trek, and he's a decent fit for Star Wars. But, I mean, just knowing that I'm going to have to sit through a fucking J.J. Abrams movie is kind of killing my vibe here. Yeah, that's where I'm at, man. I don't even care about Star Wars, I was going to say, you don't like the franchise that I know, much. I, don't, so. I, don't, I have, like, no, like, no real nostalgia for Star Wars, um, so... Like, all of the trailers have done nothing for me. Like, the whole Han Solo, uh, Chewie, you know, Chewie, we're home kind of thing. I'm just like... You didn't cry? I, no, fuck no. It's like, okay, that's 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 fine, I guess. I mean, it, it, it's, just, it's just feeding into American, the American public's sense of nostalgia rather than giving us something new. And that's... It, it's just... 
I just don't give a shit, you know. But I mean, I'm sure I'll go see it. So whatever, I, they got me just because I want to be part of the conversation too. I guess Ugh. can't be left out. Ugh. Can uh, I I'm, die? I mean, I, I I will agree with you on the, uh, the over overuse of nostalgia. That that's the aspect of the movie I'm least looking forward to because you know it's just you know my my question in my head is approximately how much time will they leave after you know Luke says his name on screen the first time for everybody to like shut up in the theater before they can move on. You know, it's like, <laughs> like I mean, I'm sure that Luke's going to make uh, like $2 billion. I mean, it, it, yeah. it'll be ridiculous. It's going to blow Jurassic world away. Probably is my guess, unless it's I awful. So. <laughs> I don't know. Even then. Cause I mean, Jurassic world was awful and it made a shit ton of money. So yeah, yeah, that's point. Did we did, did did we do a podcast talking about how shitty Jurassic World is? I can't even I remember. Wish. I guess like, I guess we didn't. No, we Man. I think we missed it. That was one that's, I think we all could have had some serious venom for, probably. <laughs> let's do that's like, podcast about it. Mm-mm. I don't think we did. Maybe we just talked about it a lot. I don't think we ever podcasted about it, no. Mm -hmm. I think we just have made fun of it so much on Twitter (laughs) for, like, the last few months that it's just in our heads that we talked about it, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) probably. You know, it's the number one grossing film, though. I mean, it's... uh, and Which uh, which is the thing no one could predict, right? I mean, I thought thought it was going to be a bomb. Yeah, I still don't know. I didn't think it would bomb, but I would have for sure told you this point in the year we would have been saying how much more than Avengers is Star Wars going to make, not how much more than Jurassic World. Right. Dude, I was predicting that Terminator Genesis was going to outdraw Jurassic World. <laughs> <You> know, <that's laughs> how, how, one of them had Chris Pratt and the other didn't. I know. I know. The other one had, uh, what's his name? Uh, not Charlie uh, Hunnam, but the other guy. Jay Courtney. Jay Courtney. What else was he in? He's going to be in Suicide Squad. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. Jay uh, Courtney is the like beige streak that you see on your screen. Who also goes by like six other names, like Sam Worthington and Charlie yeah. Hunnam. And, oh uh, yeah, there's like six Jay Courtneys right now, and it's awful. And I'm just sad all the time. Including that dude that's in Pan, whatever his name is, the one that was in Tron Two. Um, all right, Garrett Headland. <laughs> yep, Garrett Headland. <laughs> Bland handsome guys that have no charisma at all that's that's pretty much that that would you at would least he that. smiles in pan that's more than he could say for tron so yeah we call charlie hunnam charlie human and i feel like we should just start calling all those guys like sam human like, <laughs> the weird thing is Okay, the weird Sam Worthington, the weird thing for me is I've seen one movie in which I thought he was really good. And like I'm like really what? I don't know I don't know how to broach this with people. Like I don't know how to say like, oh man, I liked Sam Worthington in this movie. And it just kind of like it embarrasses me. Like it's my shameful film critic secret. But I think he was really good in the keeping room. I haven't seen that. Never saw that. Yeah, I haven't seen it, so I can't even argue. Yeah, good. That's I want to keep it that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't see it. Enough, you know. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, and then like for Spectre, Harper. Yeah. I, I bet Spectre will not be as good as people hope it'll be. That's my prediction. That I think Spectre. All those script issues I've heard about it. I think it's going to be thumbs down. Wait, do you think anything is going to be good besides Carol? Mm, <laughs> no, 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 no. I think I, I bet Steve Jobs is going to be awesome. Okay, that's great. That's two. Not bad. So 
I would never have guessed you would say that. That's Danny Boyle. Well, you know what? Danny Boyle can be great. Danny Boyle can be great. He can also be Fastbender. Fastbender is like your man crush. Fastbender is awesome. Uh, Even in really bad X Men movies, he's still the highlight. (laughs) So, yeah, that that uh, of films that I'm going to see immediately. That's the one I have the highest hope of. Yeah, I think that looks really good. That's one of the ones that's higher up on my list too. Although. It sort of is weird to me and irritating a little bit that this is only like the third or fourth movie about Steve Jobs in the last three years. I mean, it's to the point where, Kyle, I think you actually sent me something about a Steve Jobs movie. And I was like, oh, man, is this is this that one? And no, it's a different one. <laughs> it's like, this is the, uh, yeah. this is the documentary. I, I, I saw a tweet today that said, uh, are we getting so many Steve Jobs movies to keep the rights away from Marvel? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Michael Fassbender is a big step up from Noah Wiley and Ashton Ashton Kutcher. Kutcher. So, I mean, you know, it was going to be Christian Bale in that role. So, but Fassbender is a good, uh, maybe, maybe even a better, a better pick. So I'm, I hear, I hear good things. We'll see. Yeah. And I feel a little bit the same way about Spectre. That's a movie I want to be really, really excited about. I'm hesitant, but I loved, loved, loved Skyfall. And, um, I don't know. I just I hope it doesn't fall into this. It seems like a uh, Bond post Casino Royale is falling into a Star Trek motion picture thing where the odd ones are are not so good, or at least this has been the case once. So hopefully it won't follow that trend, and this one will break that. I'm excited for it. I'm almost sold on Craig. Like uh, I'm a big Roger Moore fan, so if Spectre is good, I might I might be tempted to say Daniel Craig's a better Bond, but I, I'm pretty excited for it. I'm a sucker for a Bond movie, so. Me too. Is it the same cinematographer as the last film? No. Oh, no. that's too bad. Because that was like my favorite com- part of the last movie, I think, just how pretty it was. Yeah, it's actually yeah. the cinematographer from her and Interstellar. That's oh, well, that's movie. good. Okay. Yeah. Wow, that's <laughs> very different. That's very interesting. I didn't realize that. Roger Deakins is busy shooting that Coen Brothers movie, so okay. that's why he, he uh, had to bow out of Spectre. I remember her being beautiful, too, and obviously mm-hmm. well, I'm okay with that substitution. Fine. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Well, look, the, the only thing that has me really worried is that there was a lot of scuffling about that script. I mean, and there's plenty of films that have those same issues, and they end up becoming terrific. I mean, as what say, didn't they say like that's not the that wasn't the final script? But I mean, that also could have just been PR. So, from what I heard, were some of the prominent problems with that script. Uh, looking at the trailer, a lot of those are still going to be there. I think. Yeah, I, I, I mean, just based on what I've heard about... Like uh, the whole twist everybody sees coming? Yeah. I, I, I mean, a little bit of that, a little bit of uh, this stuff involving story points from Casino Royale uh, that yeah. crop up in this yeah. film that just sound like, God, I thought we'd move past... It's beyond, it, it's beyond... I was about to say, it's beyond just the fact that it's the organization that had What's-Her-Face killed, so... Uh, yeah, I mean, the what is it, the quantum organization yeah. and stuff. I guess my question is, how many origin Bond movies can we right. have in a row? Like, every movie is like the beginning of Bond. And even in, in recent interviews with Sam Mendes, he says, well, this is the beginning of our Bond. Well, I'm like, what was the last movie? And what was the movie before that? I mean, it's just, it's, this, it's like yeah. a four-movie origin story. And it's particularly absurd because the last movie was about how Bond is getting too fucking old. Right. Like, so Hannah just said, just yeah. said, yeah. They're, the last they're doing was like about a, how he was too old to be Bond. Yeah. They're they're doing like a prequel quintology about how he's too old at the end of it. You, you know, the second they change the actor, they're going to be like, well, it, it's a reboot. It's a new Bond. So. <laughs> 
I think that there, there's a chance that the Bond franchise might be getting sucked down into like the worst impulses of modern franchise filmmaking. And I don't think it's enough to kill the Bond franchise at all. No. But I do think that it's going to do a lot of damage to it before we get out of this period. Well, that, that's, that series has always been a reflection of like whatever was cool at the time. Because, I mean, Skyfall had the whole trope of bad guy gets caught on purpose thing. So... Yeah, oh, Skyfall had a lot of that stuff. I mean, Skyfall was, let's see, let's do, uh, you know, Dark Knight in the middle, and let's do a little, uh, I don't know what you want to call the last section, some Home Alone. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know. It was, it, you know, they tried to... Home Alone with Judy Dench and Hagrid. Right. They tried to have their cake and eat it, too, in a lot of ways. But it, it also being sort of this weird introduction, and also you're too, you're getting too old for this Bond thing. Yeah. The point is, we'll never get a good switch between actors as we did between Sean Connery and uh, George Lazenby, where he said something like, this never happened to the other guy. So, <laughs> Yeah, that is correct. <laughs> So, I mean, there's a few other things. The other two kind of bigger ones that I, I would like to maybe bring up is uh, The Revenant and The Hateful Eight. Hateful Eight more than The Revenant. I'm really, really hesitant about The Hateful Eight. It's the least excited I've been about a Tarantino movie in a long time. Same. To me, it, it looks like Django again, which I didn't like Django that much either. Well, it has me excited. Is I remember reading a few months ago in Entertainment Weekly that it's supposed to be, like Tarantino describes it as being more like a play because so much of that movie is going to be in one location. So just to see him like tell a story, I mean, I know he can do dialogue, so just to see him have to tell an entire story 75% of the time or maybe 80% of the time in one place will be pretty interesting to see, and I think that'll do enough to differentiate it from Django. Yeah. That makes me less excited. Like Movies that feel like plays just make me squirmy. I don't know why. I just I feel squirmy like I want them to be over sooner. <laughs> Well, I, I feel like the, the limitation that he's kind of given himself with that, keeping it almost all in one place like that, oh, I mean, that seems to take away a lot of what makes Tarantino really exciting, I think. And I don't, True. I mean, you know, the the jumping around in the timeline and, and having a whole bunch of things that tie in together. I mean, pers- personally, I think uh, Inglorious Bastards is maybe his best movie. And that's a movie that, you know, it takes place all over the place. That's yeah. so wide-reaching. I just don't know how I feel about it. But But on the other hand, I mean... Like, I want him to keep experimenting. I mean, you know, yeah. I, I would much rather him make a movie that feels stage-bound than have him make a movie that feels like something he's done before. And he is one of, I mean, for my money, one of the most, like, exciting veteran filmmakers that we have. Like, I mean, if you're talking about mainstream filmmakers, there's, like, Tarantino, Spielberg, and I can't think of any other mainstream kind of veterans who are on their level right now off the top of my head. So seeing him continue to try different things, honestly, like I'm excited. Uh, it's a, a, I'm not a hundred percent sold on the premise, but we've seen like what one, one short trailer, like one teaser. I mean, you know, I'm willing to give it a little time. I'm with Harper though. I just wish it wasn't yet another revenge flick. Like, it's, this is the third well, in the row. Is it actually a revenge flick? I don't know about that. I mean, it's it. it, it I'm not sure. I mean, I know it's a cowboy movie, but I'm not sure that revenge is at the center of it. I mean, I thought it was more like just sort of uh, people are stuck in a snowbound cabin kind of thing. Sort of like, kind of like Reservoir Dogs, actually, which is what it sort of reminds me. Speaking of things that, whether it's new or not, I have a feeling it's going to be 
more like reservoir dogs where it's like five, six, seven, eight people, however, however the count up goes at a certain point, all stuck in one state place. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, I, I think he has said that it's not a revenge picture. Like I think the Kill Bill, Inglorious Bastards, and Django were kind of his revenge trilogy. And I don't think this is supposed to be a uh, revenge movie at all. So, I mean, yeah. Okay, thank God. If if he's hearkening back to, you know, Reservoir Dogs, which is a movie I like, but, you know, wouldn't mind seeing him try and take some of the things that he played with there and try and outdo himself, I'm, I'm okay with that. Now, is, is anybody besides me excited for The Revenant? I know I, I may have been the biggest Birdman fan in the group. I'm not sure. I mean, I, I like Birdman a lot, too. And I watched that trailer, and it's just – and it's I know it's going to sound weird because I just talked about how much I, I'm excited for Hateful Eight, but I am not big on Westerns. And The Revenant is considering itself a Western, although it's obviously not a very traditional one. But I, I don't know. Like that – Maybe it's just I saw the wrong trailer, because apparently I did, because I saw John was complaining about the same trailer I saw on Twitter yesterday. So uh, maybe it's just the trailer I saw, but I was not that impressed. I wasn't super impressed either, except it looks gorgeous. I I mean, it looks amazing. I thought it just seemed, the trailer seemed so rushed and seemed so by the numbers. I was just thoroughly, thoroughly disinterested. I will say I am also the, probably the most fervent Birdman opponent here. I, I, I very much dislike it. I think it's a fucking awful movie, actually. So, I mean, maybe that's coloring my opinion. But yeah, the trailer looks phenomenal. But the everything I've seen of the story and the cast and whatever just doesn't appeal to me that much. It's not a super exciting trailer, for sure. But... It's it's another one of those movies, not unlike Crimson Peak, where we're talking about a cast and crew that I'm really excited about. So, you know, everybody that's involved is somebody I, I like a good bit. So it's got that at least going for it. And it, and it does look gorgeous. So, well, I think that uh, that will probably do us. There's some a few other things in there, but uh, nothing quite as exciting as the ones we've mentioned, I think. So I think we'll wrap this section up and move on to talking about the uh, biggest movie from this last weekend, The Martian. All right, so in the second half of this episode, we wanted to talk about the biggest movie from this past weekend, and one that I know some of us were were at least pretty interested in or maybe maybe excited about although very cautiously i'm sure uh, given given ridley scott's recent films but this last weekend had the martian so first of all uh, just can you guys answer me something did ridley scott actually make a good movie yes i i, I yeah <laughs> i mean you know he 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 seems to make about one a decade and it almost always depends on if he has a good script. And yeah, I think he made a good movie. Mostly. Of course. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was mostly enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah, I would, I would agree. I would agree with that. It's a, it's a movie I enjoyed uh, quite a bit for the most part. Um, so I guess just in general, what, what are you guys' thoughts? What, what, going into it, what did you think? And, and did it meet those expectations? You know, what, what did you think overall? Well, I talked about this in my review, so I don't want to recap too much. But for me, it was a little overstuffed in terms of just how many people showed up in that film versus the amount of screen time there was for each of them. But beyond that, I thought it was really well done. And I thought it did a good job of kind of 
finding a tone that a lot of these recent space movies haven't had, like Gravity, Interstellar, even Apollo 13, which I think is probably the most comparable film. None of them have the same kind of bleak but humorful tone that this one struck, I guess. Just the approach and the attitude was very different, and I appreciated that. Yeah, I totally I see what you mean. It was a very different feeling sci-fi movie than we're used to. I mean, we get a lot of sci-fi horror. We get a lot of sci-fi just straight up action or like superhero movies with sci-fi like around the fringes. But this was just a straight on classical science fiction movie. Like it felt like it was of a piece with classic Star Trek which mm-hmm. the the new Star Trek movies are not very good Star Trek movies. This was a fantastic one. So yeah, I, yeah, I enjoyed it quite a bit. And it, like along that vein as something that was, as you said, it was kind of bleak in watching everything fall apart, but it was optimistic in that it was very much a celebration of problem solving and math and science and just this idea of kind of man conquering nature just by through sheer fucking force of will. Yeah, like it, it struck that Ron Howard tone for me, maybe even a little bit Spielberg at times, but it tempered it really well with a really sarcastic, funny character. And to me, that, that made it just, a, like I said, a little bit different and a little bit easier to digest the really kind of moments that could have been really cheesy. But let's not mince words, though. That was the only character in the movie. Everyone else was an absolute cipher. They were literally, there were like 40 characters in this movie. And I felt like only one of them had defined personality traits. The only one that that audience could relate to. I felt like every other character in this film was just someone who was there to get the plot rolling. And that became a point of real contention with me. I don't really mind kind of rolling back to a more older style blockbuster this kind of felt like one of those 90s blockbusters that we used to get very triumphal you know full of, you know fist pumping sort of yeah we we got this we did this you know and i felt like there's been a few movies that have tried to sort of ape into that and this this really pulled into that ron howard vein as you said hannah this is almost really scott doing his best ron howard impression really but that's not the kind of movie that really connects with me generally uh I, you know I, i've seen movies like this before and it sort of leaves me a little colder than it should. That's not to say it's not it's not without its enjoyable perks. I think Matt Damon, playing the one character in this film, is great and probably deserves some real awards heat out of this performance. And I think to an extent, you know, Ridley Scott, he knows how to shoot a damn scene. I mean, I think every Mar- Mars scene in that film is gorgeous. It looks like something out of a great prog rock album. But... When you're not on Mars, that's when the movie starts to lose me significantly, mainly because there's not many great supporting characters behind it. It's, it's interesting. I mean, for me, the, the Martian kind of acts as almost like this companion piece to Interstellar. This is the way I've just kind of kept thinking about it and I wrap my head around it, is that it's like Interstellar is like this big, epic, philosophical take on space travel and where humans might go in the future and why we must explore and and all those kind of big ideas. Whereas to me, The Martian is like, okay, let's explore the beginnings of that, but in a very, very practical way. Like, it's not to say that The the Martian doesn't have, you know, themes or or philosophical ideas, but I think that takes a backseat to, okay, let's figure out how to get from point A to point B. And and while I do, I, I, I totally can see 
why you would you know have an issue with the gigantic cast of characters and, and agreed uh you know most of them don't really get the time to breathe and and develop a lot of you know personality traits i couldn't tell you that much about them except for that guy was was mean or you know that guy didn't want to go back and say you know whatever but but uh, on the other side of that coin i guess I feel like that's more of kind of putting together this, okay, this is how many people it takes to make something like this happen. And it's not just, you know, the scientists who build the rocket. It's, you know, it's PR people. It's, you know, astrophysicists just figuring out, you know, when, what time they need to leave and, you know, figuring out the the food they need to take with them. Like there's so much that goes into it. And I think that aspect of it more than anything else, although I will agree with Hannah and Cal about the tone was, was really interesting and, and very unique. But I think the aspect of it just being super grounded in practicality was what really sold me on it. Well, it's, it's interesting because as you point out, it, it breaks kind of a fundamental law of film and television storytelling, which I think, what did Roger Ebert call it? The law of conservation of character, which is, you know, I mean, you don't, you know, have like 30 characters show up to do, you know, two minutes each. You just compile those. But this whole film was built on the idea of kind of really hard science fiction. It was built on this idea of really, really nitty gritty, detail oriented, plot driven story and so, I mean, you know, the author of the book, if, if you did not like this, Kyle, the book is so, this is so streamlined from the book. It's unbelievable. Like this is, yeah, very, very cut back in some ways, but I actually thought it was a nice touch. I mean, I don't want this to be everything, but I, I liked the fact that, you know, I mean, they had astrophysicists. They had an entire team who had to work on everything. It wasn't just one person who is the brilliant rebel scientist slash, you know, manufacturer slash PR maverick. You know, it was a details-driven movie. And for for this, took precedence over in-depth character. I think you can get away with most of the Earth-based scientists and characters that show up. But for me, where it went a little too far was when we're getting kind of the personal ending for every crew member on the ship that he was on. Mm. That was to me when it went a little too far. Like, I don't need to know how all of that resolved or a random tossed in romance or what. You know, I mean, that was just where it went a little too far. Like, just let them do their duties that are needed for the plot and don't try to make them fuller characters in the last five minutes. I mean, I, th- I think wasting Jessica Chastain and Michael Pena is downright criminal. I mean, it's it's, it's amazing. I, I thought in Interstellar Jessica Chastain didn't get enough to do. Holy crap. She didn't get anything to do in this film except be stoic, look concerned, and like old disco music, sort of. That was literally her character beats in this movie. But, I mean, Jessica Chastain is, I hate to say it, but she's kind of making a career out of being wasted. And, I mean, that's a lot of actresses in Hollywood. Like, Lawless, The Help. For every, you know, tree of life, she has five or six things that are minor roles at best. Like, Yeah, I mean, in this film, I don't think you can chalk that up to, like, women in Hollywood so much as just... Their- there was one really good part in this movie, and then there were a bunch of supporting parts. Yeah, I mean, there were too many supporting parts. Though I do appreciate the point you made, Cal, about you know developing a realistic team, which definitely works. 
until you get to Donald Glover, uh, magical Donald Glover, <laughs> who uh, yeah <laughs> produces your uh, solution to everything. He was really bad. Yeah, <laughs> he was the one. Like I think it was an interesting choice to cast a bunch of not a ton, but a handful of comedians in some of these roles. Like you know, although Kristen Wiig again had hardly anything to do, I thought she was fine. But Donald Glover was ridiculous. I mean, he, it was it was the most you know in a movie that had this sort of grounded humor that was a you know it's sarcastic and it's it's but it's sarcastic but it's not silly. And Donald Glover was like, whoa, let me trip over this trash can and fall all over the place. And hey, you know, you're you're the moon and you're the earth. And like, uh, it, that, yeah, <laughs> that was pretty cringe, really. Yeah. His Hannah pointed out to me, he's explaining science to the head of NASA, right, with like a stapler. <laughs> That is one of my pet peeves in science fiction, actually, is the, oh, can you say that in English? I was like, no, you're all professionals. You know what that means. <laughs> Fuck you. Right. Well, and there like, was a PR woman in the room. Why not direct it to her so she can explain <laughs> it to the public? Don't do it to the head of NASA. <laughs> explaining it to the one woman in the room, which might not look so good either. Okay, it makes more sense if her job is PR I know, I know. than explaining it to the scientists. <laughs> I, I, I get it. Yeah, I get no, it. I mean, I see what you mean. But, well, you know, one thing actually while we're talking about it, and this is, I guess, a minor spoiler, so if you haven't seen the movie, don't listen for the next 10 seconds, but I don't think anyone died. Oh, I'm pretty sure there no. was death. No. Nope. No, I found that kind of odd too. It's pretty unusual. It's not a problem for me, but it is extremely improbable <laughs> in a movie that it takes itself very takes like the reality of itself very seriously. It's shocking that nobody else died during that rescue. It's very. I it actually felt weird. brought it up as a as a positive because I think I can't think of the last time I saw a sci fi movie where somebody didn't die. Usually, there's just a bunch of red shirt extraneous people that get killed in a random process to up the stakes or make the tension feel higher. And I like that they, this was all about just one person living and, you know, and that was achieved. And I, I think it also like, I think it also has to do with that. It was a very focused movie. Like, I mean, most blockbusters, sci-fi, big sci-fi expensive blockbusters have to try and be all things to all people. So, you know, you get, Oh, this scene of, you know, this, like the, the pretty girl in peril and this scene of so on and so forth. And you get the deaths for the cynical 14 year old boys and you get, you know, so on and so forth. And this was just Matt Damon. Is he going to survive Mars? Nothing else matters. There's no love interest that he has. There's, it's not a four quadrant movie. It's just, it's trying to do one thing and be really good at it, which works for it, I think. Yeah, I mean, that's true. It's it's almost like the whole idea that they don't want to tell the crew that they left him behind because it will distract them. It's almost, it's almost works like on a global scale for the movie that they don't want to have anybody else die because that sort of emotional impact is, you know, not important to the plot. Like, we, we need to ignore that so we can focus on what's going on. That's that's true. So, Cal, you mentioned the book. Did Has anyone else read the book? Nope. <laughs> I've, I've heard a good bit about it. And I, I one, one thing I've... Not to take away from the movie, but I wonder if the stuff that we really like about the movie is mostly from the book. It seems like the humor, at the very least I know, is something that's really prevalent in the book. That I remember Michelle was reading it and said, you know, it's this really serious sci-fi book, except that this guy says fuck all the time. <laughs> the humor is 100% from the book. Basically, everything that people liked and disliked came from the book. This was a very faithful adaptation. 
the big change is that it's incredibly streamlined. Like the, the book, the, the author Andy Weir initially wrote it as kind of a serial novel. So he would release a chapter every so often on his website. And you can tell because basically every chapter is this thing went horribly wrong. How do I fix it? And so the book is basically chapter after chapter after chapter of something awful happened. How do I fix it? And it gets incredibly repetitive. And the movie actually did a really good job, I thought, of taking the very repetitive nature and just boiling it down to a few really important conflicts and a few really important ideas. So yeah, it's it's basically the book, but streamlined. That's it. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I'm, I've been on the fence about whether I ought to read the book at this point or not. And I'm, now, now I'm leaning a little bit towards not. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see. One of the other things, I, and maybe this is just the total audio nerd in me, but did anybody else notice the music in the movie or find it kind of strange at all? I did. I couldn't even tell you what the music sounds like. I think they played David Bowie. Well, yeah, they played. They played like some popular rock songs. Yeah, Abba yeah. And David I remember Bowie, that stuff. But uh, I don't honestly know anything about the, the actual score, score. I don't remember. Yeah, yeah I, I just thought it was kind of strange. I thought the soundtrack was pretty good. It it, it played. It was almost. Uh, although I know this is also from the book and a lot of that the music choices, but. Um, the soundtrack had a little bit of a Guardians of the Galaxy thing going on, I guess, um, with classic uh, disco and everything like that. But uh, no, I thought the music was kind of, I don't know whether I liked it or not. It felt like it was this weird, like, Clint Mansell ripoff meets this, uh, like, Trent Reznor wannabe kind of thing. <laughs> I, there were totally a few moments when I was like, are they totally trying to do, like, a social network thing here while he's figuring out this problem? Like, it was kind of weird to me. But maybe, maybe I'm the only one. The the score was done by Harry Gregson Williams, who I think is kind of one of those workhouse composers who's just done a ton of movies, but no, nobody's buying those CDs for the most part. It was obviously generic enough if it bothered you and no one else really remembers it. That's, that's, <laughs> so that sounds that, like that's an the audio definition problem. of almost like a, a of a just truly mediocre score. I think is the experts like the experts are like, oh god damn it, and. Everyone else is like, I don't know, did it? Did that really? Did that occur? Did that happen? <laughs> yeah, I don't even remember there being a score, so yeah. that perfectly sums it up. All right, well now, uh, approximately one percent of our listeners will find that last thirty seconds interesting. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, it sounds like we've got some issues with it, but overall, most of us had a, had a pretty good time with the movie. This was maybe the summer movie that we needed in, in some ways that we haven't had for, feels like forever. But, I mean, I don't know. How do you think this bodes for Ridley Scott's next next thing, which is, I, I didn't realize this was the next thing, but is Alien Paradise Lost, a.k.a. Prometheus 2. I think changing the name to Alien is going to prove very prescient. So let's say let's say The Martian. It's not going to make. You know, I had this prediction it's going to make a billion dollars. I don't think it's going to do that now. But it's the kind of movie that probably could, given that it's going to have great word of mouth. The cinema score is already an A. It made fifty million dollars this past weekend, and that was with bad weather. So uh, let's presume that it does. You know, it has like I don't know a forty percent drop. At at, uh, at worst next weekend, or maybe fifty, and it continues to climb in the international market. It'll probably do gravity type numbers or better, which is you know that seven hundred eight hundred million dollar worldwide kind of number. So 
he comes off his biggest hit of his career and his next movie is his return quote unquote to alien that's you know that's nothing to sneeze at really so i kind of think that bodes well for him box office wise i think a lot of people have their eyes on it I, you know i think it's sort of unfortunate that his next movie is a prometheus sequel but i don't know harper you're the prometheus fan not me yeah, I mean, I, I was a big fan of that movie, but I recognize that it has gigantic gaping flaws, whereas I, I didn't feel like The Martian had those same flaws. I mean, it's weird because, I mean, like we said, this doesn't feel like a Ridley Scott movie, which makes it even weirder to me about this alien movie coming up. It's re- especially hard to predict. I mean, just on the very surface of it, you know, he pulled off a, a science fiction movie that is getting very good reviews and is doing doing very well in the box office. Looking at that, it seems like, oh, well, of course, you know, this next science fiction movie that he's going to do is something he's done before and he's coming off this big hit or whatever. But they seem so different. I don't I don't even know. The Martian seems so it's good, but it's very, very, very different from his typical style. And for, for most, that's probably a good thing. Wait, what is his typical style though, other than well, bad movie? Like, yeah, I mean, you're, well, yeah, I mean, he he's really mastered the Russell Crowe finding himself in middle age subgenre. I don't know. I like Rid, Ridley Scott. I mean, his style is, I think, is that he has absolutely no storytelling sense whatsoever, but he makes really beautiful looking movies. Like, I mean, if he has a good script he'll probably make a pretty decent movie. If he has a bad script, he'll make a shitty movie. And I mean, you know, I mean, he can make a beautiful shitty movie, but yeah, I I don't think that this bodes anything for the future of Ridley Scott or the past of Ridley Scott, because he almost doesn't matter to his own career. So you're saying who's the writer of this next film and that's going to make or break it. Oh, I got bad news for you. (laughs) It's the writer of Green Lantern. Really? He's writing Prometheus 2. That's the best they could do? (laughs) Yeah, because they kicked Damon Lindelof out, basically, and they brought in the studio hack, which, you know, (sighs) Damon Lindelof ain't much better, really. Yeah, but I mean, at least he was not just some generic studio dude. I do think, Cal, you're right. He's not the kind of director that will see a bad script and take the initiative to rework it. He yeah. kind of just does what it is. Drew Goddard's a good writer, and that's probably, you know, a good portion of what makes a lot of the funniest funny stuff in The Martian work yeah. on top of Ridley Scott's visual sense and Matt Damon's central performance. Put those together, you have a pretty a pretty good movie, right? I mean, it's a solid B. So, yeah. So what you're saying is we're screwed for... For Prometheus, too. Yeah. Easily. Yeah. Come on. I mean, <laughs> I'm, sad, I'm sad to say we're probably screwed for Blade Runner 2 as well. Unless, Who's writing that? Uh, uh, the same guy. Really? They just uh, use him for every movie? Yeah. This, they've got Michael Green teaming up with David Peoples, who wrote the original Blade Runner with uh, Ridley Scott. And instead of Ridley Scott directing, it's that Denny Villeneuve who is uh, directing it with Roger Deakins, you know, cinematographer. But oh. God, the uh, directors but, but, and writers are signing lately. It's like uh, it's as if there were no potential people anywhere. OK, I'm going to say something that I know is going to be controversial. But if Blade Runner 2 is a beautiful looking movie with a just fucking awful script, It'll be the perfect sequel to Blade Runner One. <laughs> oh, that's you're, you. You realize Blade Runner is like probably in my top five of all time. Which I, I uh, do. That, I do realize that. Oh, yeah, I think you so, knew that. Full <laughs> <well>. <laughs> that's that is 
That is one of my favorite movies ever made. This will be the last time our listeners hear me on this podcast. Uh, I'm going to disappear. Let me tell you, I have heard every criticism of Blade Runner that I could hear some of it from uh, my own significant other and some of my friends, you know. It just gets kind of boring sometimes. It's not a bad movie, in my opinion, but it's slow. But, I mean, it's it's just something that clicks with me, like, instantly. You know, it's it's kind of like how Prometheus clicks with Harper in some ways, you know. It's just, there's just stuff there that works and I think is utterly gorgeous and fairly thoughtful. But, you know, it doesn't work for everybody. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we can agree that with the exception of Alien, probably, um, unless, unless somebody here has a secret grudge against Alien, <laughs> most Ridley Scott's movies have some serious flaws, but... A handful of them are, are movies that, you know, can be generally loved and adored despite those flaws for whatever reason. So I don't know. Maybe that's his weird subgenre that he's got going on now that he's left Russell Crowe behind, hopefully, forever. Reluctant acceptance? Is that... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> uh, I like Matchstick Men. I don't care, man. That's a great movie. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on Matchstick Men, actually. Uh, that was his... I think that was his last really, really good film before The Martian. That's one yeah. I have to revisit. But uh, considering since then we've gotten such glorified, wonderful movies as Exodus, Gods and Kings, and The Counselor, and Bo- Body of Lies, A Good Year, you know, there's, yeah. Don't forget Robin Hood, my friend. Yeah, I want to. <laughs> I don't even hate The Counselor, but I mean, yeah, that's, this is, he, he's been on a bad 13-year, 12-year stretch. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. So it's interesting to see that there's been an uptick here. Uh, obviously, the, the future for Ridley Scott or for at least the Prometheus sequel. I'm not, not sure about this whole Neil Blomkamp uh, alien thing yet either. We'll have to see. But the future is uncertain. But uh, The Martian's a pretty decent movie. I think we can all at least agree, uh, despite its its problems. It's an interesting and it's a very visually beautiful movie. So I'd recommend folks go out and see it if you haven't. I don't know why you're listening to this if you haven't, but check it out. I guess that'll probably wrap us up for this week. Next week, I think there's some some TV stuff going on, maybe maybe a movie or two that we might be able to catch before then. But uh, we should be back back then with some more more talk about uh, more talk and argument and and goofing off as usual. So, thanks for listening, and we'll see you guys all next week. Bye. Oh, <laughs>